Hi, welcome back to the Bridgerton Bitches. Today we're talking all about episode eight, which is sadly the last episode of series one. My name's Christina. And I'm Natalie, and I'm also sad this is the last episode, but also excited because very soon season two will be coming onto our screen. So exciting stuff. That's right. And I've already seen the trailer, so we can talk about that in another episode if you like. Oh, definitely. That would be great. Great. So let's kick off with our best bits then. Do you want to go first? Yes. So episode eight is called After the Rain. Is that right? I believe so. Lovely. So in this episode, um, my best bits, number one, is when the Duke and um, Daphne are sitting to have their portrait painted. And the artist is like getting a vibe that they are not into each other at all. Um, And the Duke puts his hand on Daphne's shoulder very adorable like the energy changes and that eye contact is really intense and the painter or the artist is like there you go like he's like ka-ching got the money shot yeah because before that moment it was really awkward wasn't it and he was looking at them like this really isn't working for me Mm. like these people are really unhappily married that Mm -hmm. was quite sweet I do think quite a the finished portrait was shit, though. It basically looked like a photoshopped photo. Did you notice? So, I don't know. See, I know you had a real issue with it. Like, we watched it a couple of times, and every time you're like, oh, that portrait. But I didn't think it was that bad. I'd be interested to do a poll of who thinks the portrait was bad and who thinks it was good. It just didn't look like a painting. It just looked like Photoshop. But, yeah, they could have done better. Harsh. Whoever the artistic director is of this TV show is going to be like, hmm. Sorry, not, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. So that was my first best bit. Even though it was like a very small thing that happened, I really liked it. How about you? What were your best bits? Yeah, some other bits I've got is um, when Madame Delacroix and Eloise are having that conversation in the dress shop. And I thought it was weird because I was getting the vibe that Madame Delacroix was allowing Eloise to believe that she was Lady Whistledown and I was kind of watching it like but why did you get that what makes you think that she was trying to do that then what did she say because it was really obvious when Eloise was like talking to her and and kind of hinting that Lady Whistledown needs to rewrite the paper to make Penelope like to save Penelope's reputation and instead of saying Eloise what are you talking about I'm not Lady Whistledown she just went along with it and she was like yes I'm sure Lady Whistledown knows what's good for her and all this and I was like why are you going along with it no but is she going along with it so firstly her station in society is lower than Eloise's so she's not going to turn around and be like what are you talking about love like she's probably used to indulging in these whims of these people with too much money on their hands that's my first thought and my second thought is you know she might think Eloise is Mrs Whistledown if you look back at what she says she might think that Eloise is hinting to her that she's Miss Whistledown or something Lady Whistledown so you didn't get the vibe that Madame Delacroix was going along with it and allowing Eloise to believe she's Lady Whistledown I thought she was acting as if she thought Eloise was Lady Whistledown and she's almost indulging in Eloise's way of talking about Lady Whistledown in third person I felt there was like I was getting an an indulgence vibe like okay we're playing this game where you're talking about Lady Whistledown in third person okay that's really funny we've got two very different vibes 
Or maybe she thinks that Eloise is warning her, I know about your affair with my brother, and if you're not careful, Lady Whistledown will find out and print it and ruin all our reputations. That's another reading of it. Yes, actually, I think that's the right one. Mm. I thought you were going down the road of Lady Whistledown is a metaphor for being the lover, but you're actually saying, like, directly, I get that. I'm totally on board with that. I think that's the winner. Yeah, I just, I didn't feel like it was clear. And even though I probably watched that scene a few times, I was still like, hmm, what's going on? And that's what I like, the ambiguity. Like from that one scene, there were four different scenarios there that we both got, or three. Mm. Um, that was also on my best bits. I liked that Eloise was getting the wrong end of the stick. Um, but I wanted to add that I don't really get the attraction between Benedict and the fake French lady, as I like to call her, Delacroix. Yeah, it I felt like think... there was no there were felt like there was no build up to that. Yeah, or chemistry. I would have liked I don't think they had enough time to focus on their relationship. Um no. and also was it too similar to Anthony's relationship with Sienna? It's like they're from different classes and they're not supposed to get together. And I felt like maybe the writers were like, you know what, it's such a similar storyline, we're not going to invest in it. Okay, so you think it's like a fling then? You don't think this is something that will um, last into season two, the Delacroix romance? Mm, I don't reckon. Okay. Yep, I think that would make sense. That's why maybe they haven't, like like you say, invested in as much time into it. Um, my other favourite scene, and it might even be my best bit of the entire episode, Ooh. is Sienna and Anthony having sex in the concession stand during the fight. It was incredibly hot. I had to remove my cardigan to watch. <laughs> cardigan. <laughs> um, you jumped straight into that bit. I've actually written something just before that, which I liked. Anthony and Sienna are looking at each other across the arena, doing really intense staring and rapid breathing. That's what I liked first. Nice. And then they go into what I put the naughty scene. Um, I agree. It's a very good scene. I just love the chemistry between these two. It's incredible. And it feels so real. Like, same. <laughs> it feels so like it's, yes, it was very good. I love that intense eye contact. They're very good actors, aren't they? Yeah. And I think they're one of my favorite couples. And Definitely. on our Facebook page, we are kind of asked people, what do you think of Sienna and Anthony? do you kind of ship them or what do you think and on the whole people like their chemistry but also some people did comment and felt that the relationship was really toxic and they weren't a fan yeah I want to know more about that because I still don't get what happened with these guys in fact that was my um my question section um oh they're just so good together okay they really any are. other yeah. In relation to that scene, um, Simon instinctively knows that Will has cheated in the match, right? He watches him yeah. and he's like, get up. And he knows. Yeah. And then he comes into the tent after Will is finished. And he just says, have you lost your honour? And I'm like, oh, God, I love it. I love it when they talk like that. I love because it when it's they talk so, honour. It's so cutting, but it sounds so, so flowery. And we said this in another episode. Bloody love it. Um, and I just yeah. thought, you know what, you were late to the match because you're so, you know, caught up here in your own thing. And that, do, I feel like Will was insinuating, you know what, if you'd arrived earlier when you should have done. Yeah, I think Will would have opened up to him. And I think the Duke could have talked him out of it. That's the vibe I got. Did you pick up on that? 
Ah, I didn't pick up on that. But I do think that the Duke is a really bad friend because mm. we talked about before how earlier Will offered to be his second without even wanting to know the details of why the Duke was about to enter a duel. He did that with a wife and kid. Like, mm. I'm pretty sure he didn't even think, do you know what I mean? That's the strength of their relationship. They clearly struggle with money because the wife has made comments about how they need to make ends meet. And the Duke doesn't hasn't like explicitly offered any money. And now to say that this guy's got no honour when he lied to his wife about being able to have children. It's yeah, really exactly. Cheesy. And Will kind of throws that back in his face, doesn't he? And he was like, stop worrying about my marriage and think to your own wife. And when he was like, I don't know, I don't have to think about my wife or something. And he was like, I'm sure your wife would be happy about that. And then Simon gets really angry and he's like, I asked you to not think about my wife. And he gets really angry. And then I love it when Will says you're not angry at me, you're angry at yourself and do something about it for once. And I was like, oh yeah, he needed telling. Go oh Will. God, that was good. I love Will. I feel like Will is really grounded and I love his relationship with his wife. I just think they have a really healthy, balanced relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I think he's really cute. And I also had that scene as my best bits. Um, I just think the Duke was really on his like, high horse, like... Who is he to say that this guy's got no honour? And I've got a question about what Will did actually later on. But, um, you know, he did say to Will, if you wanted more money, all you had to do was ask. And I was like, well, actually, his wife dropped massive hints a few episodes ago and you did F all. And maybe you shouldn't have to ask. Exactly. Uh, and it's like, okay, yeah, all you've got to do is ask. Well, for some people, asking is synonymous with begging. Like, actually, yep. if he's your best friend, should you have to ask? Or should your friend just kind of give you some money or, or give you a stable job somewhere? Exactly. Like, how and long it, can you make a career from boxing, you know? Exactly. And the Duke was already told by, oh, who's his, like, um, his mum, if you like, the one that sort of adopts him informally? You don't like uh, her, but I love her. Lady Danbury. Lady Banbury says, you know, you're in a Danbury. really privileged... Danbury? Mm-hmm. Um, you're in a really privileged position. And I think she says something like, you don't recognise how lucky you are. You just sort of go off and do your own thing. And I think, yeah, it does he really know the struggles of Will and, and what Will has to deal with? Because he's so focused on himself, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think he's a great friend. Like you said, Will's willing to risk his life for him and... Yet Simon can't even be bothered to turn up on time. Yeah, and I do think Will was a little bit like, oh, what do I do? And you're right, having his friend be his consul would have really helped. Yeah, exactly. Bad friend alert. Bad Um, friend, big time. One of the other scenes I've got on here, which I just thought was cute, and the Duke seemed really unconfident and unsure, was when he walks in to have breakfast and Daphne's already there eating breakfast. And he says something like, oh, because at this point they're avoiding each other. And he says something like, oh, I thought you preferred to have breakfast in the morning room. And she was like, oh, uh, well, I can leave if you want. He's like, no, no, you've already started. And he sat there eating breakfast. She's just staring at him. And he kind of looks up as he's like eating and he just looks really confused. And it's at that point that she's like, look, I'm going to go and visit my family. Do you want to come with me? And he just looked really adorable. Yeah, so this is such a big change from the previous breakfast scene where... Uh, she was quite cold, wasn't she? When she was like, I'm going to go visit my family. 
Mm. Oh, hang on. Or is that later on the episode when they go visit the family? And he's no, like, you're a not episode. Mm. Yeah. And do you remember? She was like, I'm going to go. And he's like, you're not going on your own. It was really weird and fractured. But she's being nice in that episode, in this section of the episode. Is that because she's she acknowledges now his childhood trauma and she's been through his letters is that why yeah. she's nicer she's completely changed her mind because she didn't understand before why he was so stubborn and angry and mm. resentful towards his dad she thought he was just being a dick and then yeah. when she read his letter she understood that he's actually kind of been abused it kind of perhaps yeah. makes her understand his behavior oh I do you think he picks up on a change in her and that's why he's a bit uncomfortable when he walks into the 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 breakfast room is he picking up on that change for her yeah but I feel like all the way through they've been back and forth like close and far apart like you know when they had the painting and every now and then they make up and drift apart again I guess that's what keeps the the interest going isn't it Mm. um there was one last best bits from from my end I don't know if you had I've got loads more amazing (laughs) I was really discriminative (laughs) discriminatory um it was the morning after the ball conversation I put wet shirt in this bit that as my favorite bit is that the bit you're talking about when he comes in to her bedroom yeah with the wet shirt so apparently that happens the morning after the ball but to me when I first watched it I assumed that it was after the ball but it was just really light outside Mm. I was gonna say maybe the ball finished at like midnight which they would would have done normally I think but actually when it rains it's still light so I guess he took a long time to think then yeah and that's funny because I just assumed this conversation was after the ball he'd had a bit of time to think was getting unchanged and then took action but it looks like they kind of went to bed slept on it that was funny to me I and also I'm like okay and then I was like oh so what they had that intent the conversation in the rain and then just walked away and ate the rest of the buffet and I just got happened? the impression though that they'd been up all night they hadn't gone to bed they hadn't gone to sleep they were up all night thinking about it and it took him that long to realize oh okay because she was like sat up wasn't she she wasn't like lying in bed I don't think she'd even gone to bed she was sort of lying on the sofa the chelange is called is that what it's called the chelange or something mm. and she's in her like her dressing gear and she looks like she's like removed her makeup and stuff so yeah yeah mm. I guess they want to give us that sense that they've both been thinking about stuff which is nice yeah um I've got a few more but I'm gonna be a bit more <laughs> picky um I have something on here so I am going to predict something now that I've noticed and I think it's going to come up in series two I have only ever read book one okay so if I've got this right this isn't spoilers this is just something I noticed Eloise and the coachman there's something happening there there's chemistry so you know when she leaves the ball earlier early and she says to the coachman like drive me to such and such a street and he's like Miss Eloise I can't and she says I have money um they just share a few looks and he kind of looks at her in a really adoring way and I was like you know what I'm calling this I think they're going to get together in series two you heard it here first I thought the way that he talked to her was slightly not informal um but it, it you're right it almost seemed like he admired something about her I got the idea that the way he looked at her like he found her entertaining and it reminds me of the dynamic if anyone has watched Downton Abbey the youngest daughter, Sybil, is a little bit like Eloise. She's quite like revolutionary and she's thinking outside the box and she falls for the chauffeur. Chauffeur? No. Chauffeur. What do you call it? 
what's a what's a driver called? But the French I said word coachman, for it. maybe. No, but in in Downton Abbey, we call them oh, a the chauffeur. chauffeur. That's it. Mm. Um, so I think that's spot on. So yeah, heard it here first. Yep. Also, the actress that played Sienna, I think, has um, come on leaps and bounds because I don't want to be patronising, but I remember a few episodes ago she had this scene with Anthony, and I just didn't love it. I felt like she just wasn't. It just didn't feel real. Um, it sounded like she was just reading off a script. But you know the scene where Anthony turns up at her house with flowers and he's like, look, come to the ball with me. She was really good when she's basically like, you have to let me go. And she's got tears in her eyes and she just keeps repeating it. And I thought it was a really moving scene. And what I really liked is Anthony, his whole demeanor just changed towards the end of the conversation when she just says, let me go. And he goes, I'm sorry, Sienna. Fine, okay. His whole face, his mannerisms, everything changes. And he, he just keeps shaking his head as she's speaking. And I just thought it was a really good scene. Yeah, that scene was so intense. And it felt like a real breakup. It really felt like how a breakup feels when like, maybe you don't want to break up with someone, but you know you have to because either there's no future or... And that's really gutting, isn't it? I just... Mm. It really filled me, that scene. And you're right, the acting... I mean, I've got some questions around their relationship later, which maybe you can help clear up for me. But I don't know why that didn't. I think it didn't get into my best bits because it was so emotionally triggering. Mm. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I was yeah. really impressed with both of them. And at the end, I was looking at Anthony and I was like, it's almost like his character had just changed. Um, and I think that's really good because obviously in season two, it's his season and he has to grow up. And I was like, that he's such a good actor, the guy that plays Anthony. I was really impressed. Yeah, he's incredible. He expresses so much emotion through his eyes. Mm. Um, but I know we'll talk about season two in another episode, but I've got, I don't want him to move on. I want their love to survive. But I yeah. guess it's about being mature enough to let people go that aren't right for you, which you don't see very often, I think, in caution dramas. And I liked how open and raw it was as well. Yeah, it was really good. Um just as a, a little thing here, I like Lady um, Featherington. Mm. Um, I respect her as a character and I really like the actress. Um, and when she comes home from the ball and all the servants are out in the hall and she knows something wrong, the first thing she says is, where is Miss um, Thompson? And I really like that because it shows that that was her first concern, that something was wrong with Marina. And I like how their relationship has been over the, the episodes and I thought that was really sweet that it showed that she cared for her. Um, and I would have liked when they have, when they say goodbye at the end of this episode, I just want, I think she says to her something like Marina, you're strong. You're stronger perhaps even than me. This is after Marina says to her, like, how did you marry without love? I would have liked a little bit more of like a heartfelt emotional goodbye between those two characters. Cause I just really liked them together. You're right, they share a lot of similarities and they were both quite calculating when they decided to plan that ruse about falling in love with the Bridgerton, um, Colin, the Bridgerton's son. And they did have shared ambition, they did have very strong personalities, which we don't mm. see in Lady Featherington's daughters. Maybe yeah. there's something about Marina's fire and spirit that she likes and sees in herself as well. Yeah, and I really like that. Oh, I think she was. Yeah, you've, always, 
You've always had a bit of a girl crush on Lady Featherington, haven't you? I really like her, yeah. She's an amazing actress. I really yeah, like her. She is. Um, one mm. last bit then for my best bits before we move on. Um, that rain scene I love. So in every rom well, not in every rom com, but in so many rom coms, you get the rain scene where two characters after fighting or they somehow make up in the rain with this epic speech where they tell each other how much they love each other and stuff um like full wings and the funeral and stuff and um oh, yeah. I really liked it and like Daphne was acting I've put Daphne rain orgasm because at one point she's like looking up at the rain with her mouth wide open like she's really enjoying it and Simon's just stood there watching her um it did annoy me when Lady Danbury was like everyone leave now the ball is over and she even does it to the queen and I was like as if as if mm -hmm. someone would start bossing the queen around yep exactly I didn't like that um I, I do actually kind of really like a bossy woman so <laughs> um I did actually really like that um but you're right the queen was really submissive in this scene um oh. I've just googled actually why rain why rain is used in emotional scenes any idea yourself why that's the case I don't know, but I just thought of another one. Pride and Prejudice 2005, where Mr. Darcy proposes to Elizabeth Bennet and it's raining. And it's one of my yeah. favourite scenes of any costume drama. So another yeah. example. Well, apparently, you know, Google just says that it serves to heighten the emotion of a particular scene. Um, but I want to know what the symbology, if that's a word, is behind rain. Why it is that rain is considered romantic. Um don't know it's like thunderstorms are used to portray drama or they're in horror movies I guess rain is just kind of dramatic I don't know and I suppose as well it's like the it's water it's like uncontrollable it's you're not supposed to be out in the rain so there's almost that sense of oh what you're doing in the rain like it kind of captures an emotion maybe doesn't it hmm. can I just say and I think this proves that that scene was shot in one shot and whilst they're having this conversation in the rain, there's a little raindrop hanging off Simon's left ear. And it stays there throughout the whole scene. And I was watching it, waiting for it to disappear because I was like, that means they've done another shot. It was there the whole time. So I think they must have filmed that all in one go. Nice. Did you actually notice the dialogue at all? Or were you just really focused on that I raindrop? I have no idea what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> I just they thought it was really cute with a little raindrop yeah. on his ear. And they actually just might have had like a really dedicated, really detailed, um, cons what's it called? A consistency. Oh, a continuity. Person. Yeah. Yeah. And if so, you know, kudos to you, whoever you are. Mm. Um, that was well played. Um, really, really quick. Another one. Uh, Penelope trying to tell Colin that she loves him and that heartbreaking heartbreaking moment where he just interrupts her as I'm going traveling and she's just so devastated I thought that was well done does he interrupt her because he knows where she's going with this See, I didn't think so but I think when she walks away in a hurry he kind of looks like oh I think I know did you get that yeah I think so hmm Yeah, that was a really good scene. Um, and there was just a little other scene where Eloise is eating chocolates on the sofa and there's an interaction between her and Anthony and Benedict. And I just really liked it. And I thought the three of them worked really well together and it was just cute. 
I like their dynamic when they work together. And I also love how Eloise isn't sitting primly on the sofa. She's like laid out, sprawled out on the couch, like couch. No, like I like her relaxed pose. I can't remember the last costume drama I ever watched where you see a woman laid out like that. And it was refreshing. Mm, yeah, I agree. Do you want to go to eye rolls? Definitely. You go first. Definitely. My first eye roll is... Um, I said Will Will's fake in the fight scene. Will's fake, I can't get up scene. And I was like, at least close your eyes. It yeah. looked like when he was lying down, he was really deciding whether or not he should get up again. Um and and I think that's why the Duke clocks on that the guy, you know, he's faking it. What do you think? I assume the Duke only knew because he knows he's fought him so many times, he knows how much he can take and he would know that that kind of injury just wouldn't work. Um, I did think it was really risky, but then I was like, well, actually, there's no way of proving whether someone actually could get up or not. So even if someone accused him, it's like, how do you even prove that? But yeah, he could have closed his eyes. Yeah, um, I think so. But it was, you know, that was my one, well, my eye roller scene. You can see I was really grasping at straws here because overall I thought it was an amazing episode. Yeah, Do you have one? There weren't as many eye rolls. I didn't actually enjoy this episode as much as the others. I think I enjoyed what? the others more. How? I just didn't think There's there was so much. much. Yeah, I just didn't. Maybe because it was a bit serious. Um, mm. I will say, oh, there's a really funny bit. So I didn't notice this, right? And I've watched this episode so many times. Eloise goes to Daphne's ball and she's walking down the stairs. Her mum's behind her and there's a man at the bottom of the stairs just staring at Eloise. Did you notice what she said under her breath? Oh, was it like take a photo or last longer? But whatever yeah, so she says the Regency was. version, which is, um, why don't you paint a, paint a picture? It will last, <gasps> you know, why don't you paint a picture or something staring at me? And I had to rewind it because she says it so fast under her breath. I, I'd never picked that up before. But there's a moment where she sees Daphne and Daphne says to her, you know, I'm really proud of you, whatever. But if you want to go upstairs and spend the whole evening in the library, I won't think any less of you. And Eloise grabs her. She looks really upset and she says, I should thank you for being so perfect. So I do not have to be. And Daphne just smiles and turns around and she completely misses the irony of her statement and is almost it's Eloise hurting and it's Eloise kind of like lashing out that she just doesn't feel good enough because Daphne's so perfect and she's comparing herself to her and it just bugged me that Daphne didn't even pick up on that okay I need to untangle some of the things you said there because there are some really good points that had never even occurred to me so firstly the paint a picture why don't you paint a picture that needs to be in our vocabulary in the next week yep Definitely. And everyone listening, come on, we've got to speak more Regency style day to day, no? Dunderhead. Um, okay, so when Eloise said that, I was like, hang on, that feels like a criticism of Daphne and belittling herself. Like, she's saying, oh, da Daphne, you're perfect, but it felt like it had like a bit of resentment to it. Did I misread it? Yeah, that's what I was saying. So she's lashing out. She's feeling really nervous and insecure at this ball. And she's upset because, she, you know, you, you can't help but compare yourself to your siblings. And she's, she's upset and she's lashing out. It's, it's almost irony in what she's saying. And it just annoys me that Daphne just doesn't even twig. She just smiles and walks away. And it's like, no, Daphne, this isn't a compliment. 
Yeah, but you can see why she'd be mistaken for thinking it was a compliment because it does sound like a compliment. Thank you for being so perfect. Oh, so it's this. So I don't have to be comment. You yeah. couldn't leave that, would you? You would be like, no, you are perfect for being exactly. you. Like you are perfect in your own way. So that's weird. The fact that Daphne smiled and walked away makes you feel like she thinks she's perfect. Yeah, and it's confirming. It's like, yeah, okay, cool, no worries. But then I feel like. Eloise is being a bit unfair because actually that was a nice thing for Daphne to say. So I feel like in a way Daphne's screwed. Like I feel like she can't do anything right in Eloise's eyes. Eloise has a way of taking everything the wrong way. Yeah, and I think that's just because yeah, Eloise is feeling really out of her comfort zone. Because um, then I was like, actually, Eloise, okay, what, Daph what Daphne actually just said was actually a really nice thing to say to you. So what do you want? But I guess you're right. She's, or is she's she anxious. predicting her failure? Is that oh. by, by Daphne saying, oh, you know, if you want, you can just go upstairs. She's giving her an out. And maybe, mm. I don't know, is, maybe she doesn't need to. Maybe she should just wait and see. I think you're yeah. right. She can't win either way. Do you think that if she, she, what could she have said that Eloise would have liked? Something like, thank you. I'm so glad to see you. You yeah. look beautiful. Yeah. Maybe left it there more loving she's she verges on preachy sometimes doesn't she Daphne or condescending maybe that's the tone that Eloise was picking up on maybe it felt condescending or patronizing yeah it is isn't it it is condescending when she's just arrived I'd get it if like an hour in Eloise was looking really un, like nervous and you know and then to say look if you want to go to the library that's fine but I don't know interesting Eloise is so intelligent and um, it's taken us a couple of moments to untangle it whereas Eloise straight away I know she had the script written for her but the character was like straight away boom mm. so she's quite fast isn't she yeah um something that annoyed me is quite early on the mum is talking to Daphne at the flower market and she says about forgiveness in a marriage she was like you need to forgive so you can move on and I was like hang on a second you don't even know what's happened how do you know it's mm -hmm. something that's forgivable like what if it's something really bad like at least this is the mum giving really bad advice again why not find out first yeah. like, it could be anything it could be that he's taken a mistress and moved her into the house like it, it could be that he's hit her you know got drunk and hit her like I just feel like again the mum is not a great confidant or giver of advice no. She's living in La La Land and, you know, she obviously struck gold and got extraordinarily lucky. She obviously met this guy herself who she loved. She clearly loves her husband very much. And they talk about this epic love affair. I sometimes wonder if that's actually more damaging to children than living with parents that don't love each other. Only because how can you compete with that? You're entering the dating scene with all these illusions and ideas. It's like living with an everyday fairy tale. And the mum is useless. She's as useless as a chocolate teapot. And you're right, she doesn't even explore Daphne. He might have um, some sort of really sick, um, he really gets his kicks out of posting dog shit through his neighbour's doors or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you just don't know. And the fact that she doesn't even ask, it's like she yeah. hasn't learned her lesson. She no. hasn't learned her lesson since the whole, mum, you didn't tell me anything about sex talk. Um, yeah, I don't think she wants to know. I think you're right. And like, you know, for all we know, they could be. he could be forcing... I could get quite dark, but he could be forcing Daphne to do orgies or all, all sorts of things. So she's she's almost like disregarding her daughter's opinion and her daughter's emotions and saying, whatever is bothering you, whatever you think is wrong is not important. Ignore it and get the yeah. marriage sorted. Yeah, and that's really dangerous advice. Mm. 
I just got images of the Duke like pushing dog poo through letterboxes <laughs> at like 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. As like a fetish. Um, um, should we go on to quotes? No way. I've got way more eye rolls. Oh, rollers. have you? That was all the ones I had. Sorry, go on. Okay, so who is Francesca and what is her role and why does she appear randomly at the very end of this episode? Yeah, I don't really get that. I, I think, think we discussed this before that maybe they just had so many characters and it's just pointless having her like they've got so many yeah yeah okay thank you for resolving that for me and maybe it was more relevant in the book and then maybe she played a bigger part originally and then they cut all our scenes out mm. we talked about this in one episode how gutting you'd be if you're like omg i've just been cast as francesca in this upcoming netflix tv show and you're watching it and you're like nope not in it yet no, nope. not in it yet <laughs> that would be that would be gutting mm. okay what did you think of the jumpy, jumpy dance between Daphne and the Duke? Um, could have been better. It could have been a nicer dance, maybe more of a romantic slow dance. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, it was all over the place. And she was bobbing around like, um, I don't know, like just yeah. bobbing around. And it was really jolty and awkward. And I felt awkward. I felt awkward. Um, a tango would have uh, been good. Or anything. Anything else would have been good. And I think as yeah, um, I think you're right. I, I didn't love it. It could have been a much slower romantic dance, definitely. Go. And the other thing as well. So the other thing I'm thinking is, I feel like the dancing is as important as communication. Because have you noticed that every time those two dance, their dancing goes against their feelings. So in the first dance they do, they're like, let's have like a ruse. And then in the first dance they do, they have that intense eye contact and it feels like there's a shift. So every time they dance, it's like, it helps their emotions to come to, it's like it connects them like sex. Sex and dancing for them, I think it's like their, their love language, the way they communicate. What, what do you think about that? I guess so, but I, I, I would say, yeah, that's, I guess most costume dramas use dancing as a way of doing that, I would say. But do you think that the reason why it was so jolty and up and down is because that was oh, reflecting right, how they were, like, um, not in sync with each other? Or am I over? I'm, I think uh, yeah, I'm I mean, that is a nice theory. That is nice to think. Maybe that is why. Because it was an odd choice, definitely. But I, I don't know. But then we don't like it, do we? I don't know if that worked. Um, no, I don't think I don't. I mean, we I, again, we should do some polls on who likes the last dance in this episode. It would be really interesting to see. OK, my other eye roll is about the breakup between Sienna and Anthony. So I don't get it. Um, Sienna. No, Anthony does accept Sienna for who she is. He's even like, look, I want to publicly make you mine. Come along to the dance. You know, I'm not interested in anyone else. And I don't get why that she suddenly changes her mind and why they suddenly, there's no fight. Like, where's the emotion? Um, like, why aren't they fighting? And that was my eye roll, because yeah. I think what they have is really special. That confused me too, because I was like, hang on, he's finally giving you what you've been wanting this whole time. But then actually that's not true, because she didn't want that the whole time. What she wanted was just for them to be together and to him, for him to support her as his mistress. She was happy with that, right? She didn't want to get married. She didn't want to become a duchess or whatever the hell he is, viscountess. Um, so I kind of get it. And she was, I think she would have been very, very nervous being on his arm, going to a ball. And even when she, he invites her, she was like, 
they'll be staring at us and and he was like well they won't care my viscounter she was like i'm not so again i don't think he was thinking about how excruciatingly nerve-wracking it would be for her to go into that social situation where she doesn't belong and have everyone judging her that's that's huge isn't it and maybe for her, it made her realise that in his head, he'll be the Dutch or the Duke, sorry, or whatever you call him. And maybe he doesn't understand things from her perspective. But so what, is that all she wanted then, just to be his kept mistress for him not to so. marry? I think that was the oh, plan. Really? And that's why in the early episodes, they were in bed together. And he was like, I will always look after you. That was the plan. Marriage was never an option. Um she just needed, and remember she goes to Madame Delacroix and she's like, um, when, the, when the relationship's over and she's like, I need another rich um, benefactor, basically. But why would you want that? Purely because of the lack of stability. Why would you want that as your future? I think it was quite common in those days, you'd have a rich guy and he would, he would put his mistress up in like, um, he'd buy her an apartment or a flat somewhere in the city and pay for all her expenses and pay, and you'd collect jewels and property throughout that relationship so that when that relationship was over or they died you'd have enough capital to keep you going I think that's quite a common relationship it's like a transactional thing isn't it god that just feels really there's a lot of trust though isn't there so there's a lot of trust and I guess he broke that trust when he just all of a sudden turned around and was like I don't want to be with you anymore so if he hadn't done that if he hadn't originally broken up with her things might have been okay but then again ultimately he would have had to get married and she probably would have been very jealous and maybe that would have made her feel like shit that he was at home with his wife and then going to her I think maybe ultimately it was always going to end I don't know but whoever she's with will eventually have to marry surely so she's always going to have to deal with that jealousy at least with this guy that she's with, the, the payoff is the amazing chemistry. But then again, we don't know, like, she's with this other guy now, isn't she? And he's probably not, he might not be titled, so he might not have to make a good match. Like, she did say that this man loves me, and he doesn't want to change me, so maybe she'll end up marrying him. But I don't think Anthony wanted to change her. He loved her. He just thought that's what she wanted, no? To be, like, like I don't know, like a lady... But I guess his focus was always she needed to be accepted by the ton. She, by coming to that ball, he wanted her to be accepted by all those people where, where she's like, I don't need to be. I don't need to be at that ball. I don't need to be a member of the ton. I don't need to be accepted by these people that will never accept me. Okay. Still really sad, but that was my eye roll because I just feel like, I don't know, like yeah. the love that they portrayed in that TV series it just doesn't exist in real life or if it does like it's really short-lived and it was just sad to see it not like play out at least in a tv show like people did say it was a toxic relationship wasn't it because he did completely ditch her um and then picked her up again which I don't love I don't know it's tricky it is tricky no, no, no more eye rolls. Okay. Do we want to go um, on to shockers now? Okay, yep, shockers. Um, I just put like, I was kind of surprised with it, that bit at the flower market at the beginning where Daphne and her mum bump into Lady Featherington. Daphne's willing to forgive and Lady and her mum really isn't. And she's quite rude to Lady Featherington and dismissive. And I really didn't like that. I was like, you're being a bit of a dick 
what did you think yeah I know and I don't get it and I, I do like that about Daphne that she's compassionate and empathic maybe because she knows that they are socially so much higher than the Fedlingtons she just felt the fact that this woman lied and put her son through all of that yeah, I, I guess mean, in her fair, mind, Lady Featherington is absolute scum. I mean, as a mother, I suppose maybe you would find it hard to forgive someone that treated your child like that. Um, I think maybe Daphne's eyes have been a bit opened because she's seen the other side of Marina. She understands the, the motivations Marina had to do it, whereas, whereas the mum doesn't know any of that background and she's probably quite black and white. And I don't like that about the mum. I do feel like she's in her own little la-la land. She's been blessed with like all these positive experiences, had loads of money, but like she doesn't know the reality of stuff. I mean, I, I guess she knows the reality of sex, but, and I guess she had to have like, you know, she, they had a lot of painful pregnancies, but she doesn't seem very worldly to me. She gets a little bit tipsy at a party. She's got all her kids to look after her. The more she you talks s- in rhymes and riddles. I don't know. The more you say, actually, the more I start to think she's a very one-dimensional character. She plays the, the, the kind, motherly matriarch. That's it. She doesn't really have a backstory. She doesn't have a complex character. She's always in the same mood, so optimistic and smiley. You never see her angry or down. I think she's very one-dimensional. Yeah, and sometimes she almost comes across as the fool, you know, we see her knocking back some alcohol at a party, that's her way of dealing with it, or very sweet and softly spoken, she's almost like a child, and her children are having to look after her, you know, Colin's taking her up the stairs, and they don't include her in matters that are important, like when there's that massive jewel, it's like she's defined as this extra part of the family that she's like a figurehead, but doesn't actually do much. Yeah, she doesn't give any good advice. I'm being unfair, actually, because it was her idea to spread that gossip that the housemaid ah, got about that guy. Okay, so I am so being she unfair. Has one, okay, she's had one redeeming moment where she's got shit done. But I don't feel like it was enough. No, no. And, yeah, at first I really liked her, but as the series went on, I just sort of feel like she's a bit redundant, and I don't know. Maybe that's a little yeah. harsh. We'll have to do another poll. How redundant is the mum? Mm. Uh, did you have anything else under shockers? Um, oh my word! When Sir Philip arrives and gives Marina the news that George is dead, that, that was, was pretty shocking. Really sad, really sad, um, and well acted, I thought. Um, I've put this under quotes, but actually, I'm going to put it under shockers <laughs> because it just—I thought it was a silly thing to say. So when Marina storms out of the room, she's upset. She's holding the letter, and Daphne goes after her. And they talk about the fact that he, you know, he died and stuff. And he'd been writing to Marina. Marina says he had a perfectly reasonable explanation for not writing back to me. And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was dead. Like, yeah. why would you say that? It's not like he'd missed the train home. I was like, yeah, yeah Marina, we get it. He's dead. That's not an excuse to write back. Like, oh, sorry, I didn't write back. I'm dead. And the little part of me is like, you're still making it about you and the letters. Like, she's yeah. not saying, I mean, did she say anything like, I've just lost the love of my life? No. Um, it just it was weird more that like, she's like, I've got is, a reason now. <laughs> yeah, it was more like proving her point to Daffy. Like, yeah, I told all you guys that he had a reason. And this is my proof. I'm like, yeah, Marina, not the point. 
yeah I felt like she was being like to everyone oh is this reasonable enough for everyone yeah does this does this does this excuse him in your eyes he had a reasonable like are you happy now yeah it's like Um, just wants to prove that she was right all along it was very odd yeah and this idea of him dying and not getting the letter sent out reminded me a little bit of you know in persuasion where they're having that meal and Captain Wentworth is talking about how um his best friend was denied marriage to this young girl because he didn't earn enough money and then by the time this guy earned enough money mm. the girl had died and it, it 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 reminded me of that idea a little bit of that that missed opportunity that lost love like love getting away um yeah and yeah yeah because I think he that. was writing to her to say you know I've saved up some money we can run away and that was very sad um, yeah, and kind of connected to this, the other shocker, Marina is still pregnant and did not realise. Mm. Uh, and to me, that's not any reflection of her being like, oh, she should realise. I was like, it's shocking the lack of information women had about their own body that they didn't even know what would constitute um, yeah. a baby. It, and it really pissed me off how little they were taught about and apparently information I might be wrong but I googled it because the doctor was like oh that tea isn't going to get rid of it um I googled it and apparently information around contraception and what to do about getting rid of a baby was information that was suppressed yeah it wasn't you know so I was like "Mm, doctor at the same time, time people did use teas and herbs to get rid of a baby so they, they did work. That's what you I can mean. get her. Yeah, but so when the doctor was like, tea doesn't work, that was a bit annoying. So I was like, well, actually, yeah. that was something people used to do, and you can you can use special herbs for that. So um, it is strange. It bit... Yeah, like when I think when Penelope asked her, she says, oh, it's fine. I would have felt something by now. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, you would know. You'd have a lot of bleeding for a start. Like, you're right. She's got no idea. No, and maybe she thought as well, like maybe she didn't feel the baby move, so she was like, "It's all okay." Um, yeah. But then it makes you wonder, oh God, like then what's happened to the baby if the baby's gone quiet? Urgh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was a bit weird. Um, something I didn't like, which is linked to this, is um, Marina leaves the house, so she kind of says goodbye to Lady Featherington, kind of, but it's not a very emotional goodbye. And then she just leaves the house, brushes past Penelope and the sisters and gets into the carriage. And I was like, no goodbye. She doesn't even say goodbye to Penelope properly. Doesn't hug her, nothing. Don't I don't, they I say... Think, I think it was a bad they, edit. Well, don't you think they have that conversation? Don't Daphne and... Um, no, it doesn't... They do. Uh, they, they have, have a conversation the... earlier on. Yeah. But it's not a goodbye. It's just a kind of oh good luck and then she says about Colin like oh yeah Colin will realize but when she actually leaves she just brushes past them straight into the carriage and it feels like they're leaving on bad terms like maybe it's just because it's been edited badly ah are you thinking that that scene probably should have come afterwards just before the scene where we see her getting into the carriage maybe or maybe just before she got in she should have just turned home given her a hug it just yeah because they they did have a connection, didn't they? Or maybe that's supposed to highlight the damage that was done to their relationship. And actually, they're not really parting as friends because of what happened was so awful. No, because they do chat just before in the bedroom. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe it was just edited badly. I don't know. But if they chat just before in the bedroom, then that is their goodbye. There's nothing else to say, is there? But you they think a little hug goodbye. would have been nice. 
they don't hug they just talk about Colin I and, and shouldn't say goodbye to the sisters and the way it was done the way she just brushes past them without even looking at them and gets straight into the carriage doesn't even look around I just thought it it was portrayed as if she was leaving under like a bad in a bad way and I, that's just my personal opinion mm. but it just I was a bit like what what's happened maybe it is kind of a bad way after everything she's put them through she never connected with the sisters she was always an outsider maybe it was supposed to show that she's leaving kind of under duress she's got no other choice that was her home for a time so maybe it was supposed to be no and at least she had a friend in Penelope now she's heading off to somewhere she's got no idea to a guy she doesn't know her love has just died it's weird she's like how did you marry without love it's like you weren't worried about that when you married Colin but maybe she thought she could grow to love him yeah and she kept saying you know Colin's a good guy so I think you're right I think and she was attracted to him and I think she could see herself loving him but this guy's a total stranger he could be he could be anything he could be crazy um Um, do you have anything under shockers because I made a little section about fashion that I was hoping we could talk about oh no I got nothing else under shockers I'm empty that's cool so did you fashion wise I've made some notes were there any costumes you particularly liked or disliked in this episode? Mm. Should I start? And I it might think so, yeah. Out. Yeah, you start. I've just put my favourite ones down. Marina is walking down the hallway with her toast when she stops and she, she takes ill. She's wearing this really lovely white dress with sheer sleeves. Did you notice that? It's a really lovely dress. Oh, beautiful. I would love a dress like that for the Jane Austen Festival that we do next year. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, what bothered me is this horrible dress Lady Featherington was wearing. And it was like a yellowy lime and it was really tight and it was covered in like garish green and pink and whatever pattern. And it just, oh my God, it really annoyed me. Did you notice that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Her fashion style is like Marmite. You either love it or hate mm-hmm. it. But um. No, I hear what you're saying. And you're kind of into fashion, aren't you, of the time? So for you, was that just not conforming really? to what you believed mm. the fashion would have been? I didn't like it. And the cut was all wrong and stuff. It looked a little bit Victorian. But to me, it was mostly the colours, which I didn't love. Um, did you notice at Daphne's ball, pretty much all the women were wearing shades of blue? Yeah, so is blue like the um, Bridgerton colour, like yellow is the Featherington's colour? Is that some sort of like, you know, you've got it like, is, you go to yeah. primary school and you've got like your house teams. But at the end of the day, she's not technically a Bridgerton anymore. She's a Bassett, isn't she? She's married into the Duke's thing. And I mean, maybe that is why, because it was supposed to be her ball, everyone had to wear blue. But I don't know, I thought it was a bit weird. Do you know Pop what I think? Like, thinking about the psychology behind colours yellow when you think yellow you can think bright but you might also think like a little bit brash like a little bit in your face like it's not very subtle whereas blue for me personally it's quite calming it's quite peaceful it's it's quite an elegant colour for me personally and everyone's different but could that be attributing personalities to each of the characters like you know Lady Featherington is brash and direct and she is a social climber and she's very bright and loud in terms of her ambitions whereas the Bridgertons seem quite quiet and calm and I don't know what do you think yeah and I think the Featheringtons are supposed to be money over taste so she's got money but she's got absolutely no taste so that's that's why her and her daughters wear clothes that really clash and they're quite garish um I think that's supposed to represent that isn't it and they kind of clash with people as well, don't they? There's that sense of clashing 
because they're struggling to get to the top maybe as well it's not very yeah. harmonious is it definitely yeah um before we go on to quotes right there's this brilliant um aerial view drone footage of the duke's house uh cliveden and it's huge and i just wanted to do a little bit of research into where it was filmed and it's filmed the exterior so it's filmed in lots of different areas but the exterior of that building that we see is castle howard um and that's in north yorkshire and it's in it private privately owned and just fun fact it was built in 1701 it took 100 years to complete the build and it was actually built on a ruined castle that's why it's called castle howard because it was built on the, on the ruins of a castle um i just thought that was really cool and then you know um you know the other bit where they're in the dining room daphne and the duke and they're having that conversation over breakfast that's filmed at wilton house and lots of other things have been filmed there so wilton house is 400 years old and it was built on the site of an old abbey um, it's been used in the crown that's buckingham palace um the 2020 emma if anyone's a fan of that it was used as donwell abbey that mr knightley owns and it was also in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, they used some interior shots to be Pemberley. Pretty cool, right? Oh, well done, Chris. You like proper went deep there with the research. Yeah. So whereabouts in the country are these properties? Are they like in the south or in the north? Well, or... Castle Howard is in North Yorkshire. And annoyingly, I haven't written down where Wilton Abbey is, which is really annoying. But can I just say, fun fact, Henry VIII gave Wilton Abbey to the Earl of Pembroke and it's still in their family line. Well, how do they manage that? Because in the Second Pretty World cool. War, so many families had to like give up their country houses and stuff, didn't they? Mm. Was it because of the Second World War or was it just because life got expensive? Well, they got them back after the war. They were just used as like hospitals and army, the army seized them, but they tend to get them back afterwards. But you're right, like it's very unusual for, for a line 400 years old to still have the same house. I thought it was really cool. That's amazing. I love that you went with the, the research there because I haven't really heard of those places. And, and we live in the southwest of England, don't we? And I think we've visited a lot of places like that, but I've never heard of those two before. So um, I yeah. was curious to see if they were a bit out of our range. It's just cool that Wilton Abbey has been used in so many things that we've watched. Yeah. Oh, I'd be really interested to see if like anyone listening recognised the room when they were watching it from any of the TV series that they'd done. Um, Another poll to do, Chris. Lots of polls. Yeah, let us know. It's such a, it looks like such a lovely place. Cool. Do you want to move on to quotes? Uh, a confession to make. I was going to lie to you, but I actually completely forgot about quotes and just did loads of questions. So quotes is on you, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. Cool. Um, so I've already said the Marina one. Um, I think the sisters are quite funny in Bridgerton. So uh, Penelope's sisters. And I wish they had more screen time. Um, and when the mum is like we can't afford dresses and she was like fine the girls will just have to wear a dress they've worn before and one of them is really dopey she goes but have we ever worn a dress worn before <laughs> like she just really <laughs> sounds confused the concept of wearing a dress twice which i thought was quite funny um, yeah no wonder they're bankrupt well actually the fact that their dad is basically getting rid of all their money oh is dad, their dad is such an a-hole um I put the quote where Will says to the Duke, you were angry, but not with me. And finally do something about it, which I really loved. Um, Life quote, guys. If you're angry about something, finally do something about it. I feel like do something about it. He's like the Nike role model 
of the yeah, just do it. You should be the face of Nike. Um, Maybe that wasn't even in the script, and the actor's like, I really want to be the face of Nike, so I'm just gonna like slip that in the script. Never know. Um, Lady Danbury, who I don't normally like, but I have got one of her quotes here. She says to Simon, Pride will cost you everything and leave you with nothing. Try and do her really sarky voice. Um, Try again. Try again. Do it again. No, I can't now. I've got performance anxiety. Um, I like that. And it's true. It's to the point. What was it again? I was distracted by your accent. Pride will cost you everything and leave you with nothing how do you not love that woman she is amazing I want her to be my best friend um she always and the way that she speaks with so much power and conviction and I think it does go in I think he does listen to her definitely um and the one other thing one other bit and it's from the same Featherington sister I can't remember what she's called the dopey one uh when they're at the ball and the mum says um I'm sure so-and-so will start courting you now that you'll have now that you have your dowry again and she says again why did I lose it somewhere the first time and I was like oh (laughs) you're kind of cute you're kind of funny I like it she is cute and she is funny and um again it just reinforces how little control those girls had in their own lives they didn't even realize how close they came to not having a dowry it's scary Chris honestly there was a time where if I had been given the chance to go back in time and be a lady I would have been like yeah why would I stay in the modern society and now when you hear those sort of comments it just reinforces how little they knew about the world it's scary so much dependence yeah. on their parents, isn't that? And the fact that someone would love you, but they're not interested if you don't have a dowry. It's like, oh, great. And even if they did love you and you didn't have a dowry, could they even be allowed to marry you? Would you be dooming both of you to really awful? Sometimes I even wonder if you would have been better off being poor, like Will and his wife. Mm. Oh, I don't think so. To not even be able no. to afford medical care into the day, like that's shorter life expectancy and stuff isn't it yeah and the hunger and the cold and stuff what were your questions okay so do you think that marina redeems herself when she says sorry to penelope in this episode Um, well added question do you even think she oh okay do you think that she should redeem herself or do you think actually her actions were perfectly reasonable i don't know we've discussed this before and I think in 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 the context of the time they're living in, Marina was in a life or death situation. Back then, to be have a baby out of wedlock, she would have ended up on the streets. Like she'd have been shamed. So I think she was fighting for the life of herself and her child. So I do think it's forgivable what she did. Don't you? Yeah, I think it's forgivable, and hopefully. Penelope understands how serious it was because I still don't I don't get if she can appreciate that I they live in such protected so. societies no but and then she's lived and, in a gilded cage hasn't she like it, it took Lady Feathering had to take Marina to the part of the city where people were living in squalor and be like open your eyes this is your option she, I mean Penelope would never have seen that so Penelope can't even imagine that can she no and they should be doing like a carriage tour they should basically before the girls come out and they present themselves to the queen they should have hauled together all of these women put them in a carriage take them down to Cheapside or wherever that part of the and say look if you let a guy if you do any under petticoat action 
this might be your life yeah. because to be fair women don't know if they're yeah. given more information they can make these decisions and that's why Daphne emphasizes so much with yeah. Marina because she's like yeah well that not that that could have been me but You're well right. yeah it could be anyone that's the saddest part is, is it's not fair you can't expect somebody to make choices without knowledge and then punish them for making the wrong choice I don't think that's yeah. fair absolutely and Marina's mum was probably as useless as Daphne's mum so mm. it's not good and I we said that we hope that Daphne's mum doesn't repeat the mistake with the other children but I think she will the way that she says to Daphne whatever the problems are like get over it I was like yeah I don't think you've learned your lesson I think Francesca and the other girl no. are basically doomed to the same fate so we've got to hope that yeah, definitely. definitely takes the lead okay do you have any other questions or can I go on with my next question do you think the letter that Daphne reads makes her want to make things work with Simon like do you think she actually really truly understands and respects his decision now I think it allowed her to feel like there was hope left in the marriage because before because she didn't understand his decision properly she couldn't fix it because it's like if she was actually hit a brick wall she was like well this is a dead end we're, we've had the conversation we're not agreeing we have to separate was when she read those letters and she finally understood his behavior she was like well I, at least I could try and fix it can't I so she felt like now she understood the situation she could so do you think in her mind his childhood trauma doesn't justify his decision like she now she understands that she's like she's got hope because that actually yeah you had a really bad relationship but that shouldn't determine your life yeah is, is that what it gave her that's what that conversation in the rain was wasn't it that was her saying I understand why you act this way you need your dad taught you that if you're not perfect you're not lovable and I'm telling you now that that's not true and oh my god yeah right that must resonate with so many people when she said that so I think a lot of people feel that don't they like I'm only lovable on condition that I and lots of money or really beautiful blah 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 blah, blah. so mm. I reckon a lot of people watching that were like oh my god like having a little mini meltdown um but do you think then if he had still said to her no I'm really sorry but I'm just so scarred I'm just scared of being blah 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 do you think she would have accepted it and, and then stayed together because it is a legitimate reason isn't it to not want children yeah like maybe she just needed to give him time like maybe she would have given it like I don't know whether it was surmountable because I don't know I to be honest I didn't love the ending of oh happily ever after they have a baby and everything's fixed like personally I didn't love that ending I thought it was kind of lame but I know most of the audience would have wanted that conclusion they would have wanted that happy ending mm -hmm. where they have a baby and a baby fixes everything and I just I don't know I didn't like it but that's just me no and and in terms of the development again we talked about this Daphne has well she's changed a bit she's she's more compassionate than she might have been um but the Duke's the one that's had to do with the changing and the compromising and it would have been really nice if she said that actually does she say something like you know what there's no rush we're gonna take our time and see how you feel was know. that the approach she went for I don't think so it felt kind of rushed because at the end he was like oh we're gonna stay in town and enjoy it just the two of us or well, obviously no because they have that sex scene where he finishes and he doesn't pull out so they've already decided to start trying for a baby and I just think oh you could at least wait a bit you've only just got married 
Yeah, the thing that the issue with that is that I think it would have been really nice for them to have had a sex scene that was really intimate, him to have pulled out because it's so explicit what I just said. Because I felt like I feel like he was manipulated and peer pressured yeah. and forced into feeling like he had to do it then and there. Yeah. Whereas actually, why not have it so that you've got lots of flashes of them having sex and then maybe like a year later they have sex and he decides not to pull out then it feels a little bit more like he's made that decision that he's comfortable with in his own time. It still felt implicitly in full. I can't explain it. Like, I want to do another poll, but do we feel like maybe it was romantic that he made that decision, but it still felt like he was harangued or harassed into doing it, and he needed time. Yep. I agree. I, I didn't love it, and I thought... I, I just think it also it's that trope of women women's goal and ha- and happiness is all dependent on whether they have a baby and to to Daphne her whole life happiness was based on having a child and I just I don't love I know you know everyone's different but I just think you know I don't know I don't I don't love I don't love that storyline there should be more to Daphne than this I don't know but, you know, there are people, though, who whose life worth is linked to having a family. And it was the family she wanted, wasn't it? And the idea of caring. Um, and I guess we've got Eloise on the other spectrum who gives us the perspective, actually, I don't want that. I want this, that and the other. But back then, their options but were pretty you know... limited. Like, yeah, but their options were really limited. So what else could she have done? Well, it's just, not like nowadays where you get pleasure from other things. I was just about to say what would have actually been a scenario that would have kept everyone happy is if they just adopted. Because that way say... the the heir is not a basset and that screws over the dad and Simon gets to keep his grudge and feel like he's not making his dad proud. Daphne gets to become a mother and a child who would live a life of poverty <laughs> gets to be... I mean, that was quite common. People that had an estate to pass on that didn't have heirs would quite often adopt nephews or nieces or like, you know, people quite far away in the distant family. That that was quite common. That's never an option because Daphne must have a baby. Yeah, that's a good point. I was wondering that adoption would have been a good compromise. I just think more of a compromise because I feel like Daphne got her own way. Yeah. He's had childhood trauma. He's had 20 years believing in these conditions of worth and believing himself to be blah, blah, blah. And then she just sort of clicks her fingers and gets what she likes. And maybe it was just a little bit too perfect happily ever after. And we, we just that's know life's not me. like that. That's and what I bothers just... me, yeah. But at the same time, yeah. we have to have a cured duke to go full circle for the story and a happy ever after the Duke has to be cured of all his issues. Um, yeah. And that takes after a nice one conversation. Yeah. After one conversation. Exactly. And it means that she gets what she wants, but yeah, I just think, I guess we watch TV like this for the escapism, but I just felt a little bit bad for the Duke. I felt mm. bad for him when he had sex with her and he doesn't pull out. I just feel like, uh, he's, has he been, I don't know. It just felt rushed. I think mm. it could have been done in a more subtle meaningful way um okay my next question is was origami a thing in regency times um i think so yeah because i was recently looking into regency um valentine's cards and sometimes they'd make little origami cards like puzzles why i don't remember it coming up in this 
So in this episode, he goes to the Bridgerton household and we meet that he's oh, playing yeah. the, the two kids on the sofa and he does a little origami horse. And I was like Googling it. Um, so what time period is the Regency period? Is it 1600s? No, it's like 1790s to like 1830s or something like that, I think. Okay, because I Googled it um, and apparently um, origami has existed for like years and years and years. Didn't it um, start in China? There, yeah, exactly. Um, but there was in 1680 a short poem by a poet and novelist, Ihara Sakaku. I'm sorry, I, I'm, I don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, he talks about butterfly origami. And then apparently there was a origami book in 1797 called Sembazuru Orikata, and I was thinking, and it teaches you how to fold linked cranes cut and folded from a square piece of paper. And I thought maybe the Duke had a lover, or maybe he read the book Semazuru Orikato. And I just thought that was really cool. Like, I guess he's travelled as well, hasn't he? So maybe that's supposed to make him look like he's picked that up somewhere on his travels. Super hot. Love a guy who knows origami. No, <laughs> that's on your list. Um, it is on my list. Okay, I've got two more questions. Okay, I've got a few more questions. I'm sorry. Um, laudanum poisoning. Any thoughts on that? What laudanum poison is or what's what's inside of it? I thought laudanum was used as medicine to like calm people's nerves and stuff, wasn't it? But it, I think it's addictive. Okay, do you know what the active ingredients are? Is this the one that's got like cocaine? Has it got cocaine in it? Or am I thinking of something else? Mm, well, it might do. But from what I found, it has a tincture of opium containing 10% uh-huh. powdered opium. Um, and it's prepared by dissolving extracts from the opium poppy um, in alcohol, ethanol. Um, do you know what it tastes like for those of you who haven't no. tried it, including us? Um, it's, well, it's reddish brown, extremely bitter. Um, and it also includes uh, morphine and codeine. Did you say morphine? No. Codeine? No. Mm. Oh, I thought codeine yeah. was a modern thing. Interesting, isn't it? But you are right um, that laudanum was used to treat um, what is a pain medication and cough suppressant. Um, and to soothe all manner of physical and mental ailments, including, I quote, women troubles, menstrual and menopausal discomfort. So it was also supposed to be good for improving creativity. Now, do you know why I'm talking about this? No, I'm trying to remember when it was brought up. I don't remember it. So when we see Lord Featherington enter a room with those two bookies and they look quite sinister and there's a bottle ah. that says laudanum, poison. I don't understand what was going on, dude. Like, yeah. I don't think I noticed that. that the first time I watched it. And I, I, when I watched it the other day, I saw that bottle and I was like, well, that's how they're going to kill him, right? I don't get it. Why are they killing him? And why are they killing him like that? Because they know that he screwed them over in the bet. I can't remember how, how? they find out. Maybe Will says something when he's not blaming Will. I'm so harsh. But still, like, okay, so what? Then why doesn't he walk away or... What, how they come they don't the floor beat up and Will? Throw? Yeah, exactly. And like, do they pin him down and then chuck the Lord and him down his throat? Like, I don't get it. Why not shoot him or attack him in the street? What? Why yeah. did they go and visit him? It's a bit weird they didn't hide the bottle, which makes me think they force him to drink it himself. Or maybe they say to him, either you drink it, or we ruin you, or we take you to death's jail. Like maybe they blackmailed him into drinking it. 
oh god what a choice or maybe something like we'll we'll abduct your wife and children mm. something um, that oh blimey that's this reminds me so you know at the end when the head um the housekeeper comes out to see lady featherington and she says um mom we we know who's going to inherit the house and she hands over the paper the vibe i got from the housekeeper was that it was a bad news did you pick up on that her facial 100. expression was like and but when 100. lady featherington opens it and reads it she doesn't give anything away in her face oh she's an amazing woman she's she's she is unreadable think of the things that she's had to hide from society mm. um she's very well i don't suppose you you could call it a strength i suppose couldn't you or weakness because she never gets help from anyone but i've got my next question is who do you think will inherit the estate so maybe this could be for another episode where we talk about what we think will happen in season two and the trailer so maybe i'll, I'll keep that question for just before this bit i thought it was quite emotional when lady featherington gets told mom your husband's dead and she looks shocked and then she stumbles down the hallway throws open the door to his office goes to the desk she pulls open the drawer she's rummaging the money's gone and she just sits down completely deflated and she just gets so angry and she's like hammering on the desk and screaming and crying and I was like I really felt for her because firstly her, her reaction to her husband being dead isn't oh my god I'm so upset I'm devastated we know she doesn't love him properly it's the money she's so what's the word um practical it's do I have money oh my god and then that moment where she realizes she's absolutely screwed and she's just screaming and I'm just like oh my god I just thought that was really good yeah absolutely and I just because she knows that her future is unfortunately dependent upon mm. her husband and for them to go from bankrupt to getting loads of money that relief and then being left not only with no provider no one to fix the problem but left with nothing and and why is the money gone did the duke take all the money with him when he went to the whorehouse or the prostitute house or the brothel whatever you want to call it did he take it all again mm. and, and or, or did someone enter the house like what do you think how did yeah. the money disappear guess they were all gone I can't believe he would spend it all in one night because she was going to take the money to the modiste the next day mm, I think Why we're going to find take... all this out in series two aren't we so in our next episode when we do a bit of um a prediction around season two we can explore that a bit more maybe but they're um... really screwed because this reminds me of like I suppose it's a little bit like Pride and Prejudice in the sense that the estate is entailed away because they're all female but also like Sense and Sensibility because they their father dies and it's their half-brother inherits but they get kicked out of the house and they have to go and live in a tiny cottage down in Devon somewhere and they lose their beautiful mansion house and everything and that could happen to the Featheringtons like they're reliant now and whoever's the heir could come in and be like right get out pack your stuff or they could have to live with them like oh my god that's really messed up and again, I think we should totally explore this more in season two about our season two episode, because I've got a couple of theories of where this mm. could go, which would be really fun to explore. But yeah, you're right. She must be absolutely like, oh, for F's sake, like, God. Um, yeah. Okay, I've got two more questions, I promise, and then I am done. Um, right. You know, when Colin decides to go and do a tour of Italy and Europe or whatever, the grand tour, as they called it. Do you think that is motivated by his realisation that maybe his brothers were right when they were like, we should have taken you around 
and, and basically got you to spread your seed or whatever they call it basically have mm. sex with women because otherwise you wouldn't be trying to marry the first woman that showed an interest in you do you think Colin has reflected back on his reaction and he thinks maybe he does need to and I quote experience the world do you think there's any part of that that might explain his decision to travel or do you think he just wants to get away I think he was always planning to travel because I remember when they went to see the Featheringtons with Marina um and, and and also Penelope said, oh, you were always, you were going to travel, like you had all these plans. I think he put his plans on hold because he met Marina. I still, I think he would have gone if Marina hadn't been there. But it's like after everyone has a breakup, there's a desire to like leave and go somewhere new and get space, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, and distraction and just surround yourself with different experiences and to numb the pain. Um, okay, so the last question I have, what is the deal with that bumblebee at the end of the episode? Oh, I don't know, it really pisses me off. Um, oh my <laughs> god, it gets on my nerves how they just show a bumblebee and they do it when Daphne gives birth, and then if you notice in the series two teaser, or oh, there's a poster and there's a tiny bumblebee at the front you know... of the picture, and I'm just like, oh yeah. Do you know the deal about the bumblebee? Do you yeah. do you know what okay, so you tell me what? So what about the Anthony's dad? dad, Bridgerton, Mr. Bridgerton, whatever he's called, he died from a bumblebee sting, yeah? Yeah, exactly. But, so do you have any idea, like, what the significance of the bumblebee is in the context of that? Like, do you have any ideas about why they keep showing the bumblebee? But it can't be death, can it? Because they've shown it on good, happy scenes, like when Daphne gives birth, or when that couple elope, there's a bee, which I didn't think made... Not elope, but when that couple that got married got in the carriage and left, and I was like, why is the bumblebee there? What do you think? We talked about the etymology and, and the significance of the bee, didn't we? I think in season one, episode one. Um, I looked it up to see what people were saying. And I really want to hear what other people think. But one of the theories is that could the bumblebee be the reincarnation of the dad? Now, my first reaction was if I was to be reincarnated in something, I wouldn't be reincarnated in the mofo that was responsible for my murder, for my yeah. death, rather. So murder. I would, as a, yeah, I would come back as a stallion or a bird, something really impressive. A dog. Like, if you could, yeah. A bee, that I think the lifespan of a bee is really small. Oh, it is. I mean, why would you do that to yourself? So, I don't know. I mean, would you come back as the thing that killed you, I guess, is my lasting thought on that theory. But I like the creativity behind it. Yeah, it just annoys me, to be honest. Um, every Not time the I see theory, it, I'm like... the bee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every time I see it, I'm like, I don't get it. New beginnings. Maybe it's all about new beginnings. Maybe the bee represents new beginnings. I would have to listen to... If you want to listen to episode one and tell us... I think what you're right. you had around the bee, can you please remind us? Because I can't remember. I think you're right now. Because it was happened what? at the birth, and then it happened when the couple were leaving for their new married life. Do you remember when else it popped up? in the series when we get introduced to the Bridgerton in season one episode ah. one it's on their door knocker isn't it and that was her coming out which is a new beginning her coming out thing is a big deal mm, interesting have we just have we just solved the mystery of the bee just like that mm. no it still doesn't make sense because bees are synonymous with like hard work okay I, I'm 100% sure we discussed this in episode one so maybe we should just re-listen to it yeah have you got anything else to add to this episode no I binge watched this episode this season when you finally got me to watch it like literally in like a day 
um, and then I rewatched it again, and then rewatching the third time, still enjoyed it. So yeah, same. Well, noticed few things. To everyone listening, um, please follow and subscribe because we will be doing the new series when it comes out in the UK in Mar- I think it's March twenty fifth. We'll be mm-hmm. releasing an episode uh, after watching each one, so you can watch along with us um, and discuss it. So please like or follow subscribe and also come onto facebook and type in bridget and girls was not allowed to use the b word on facebook and talk to us and let us know what you think yeah and we're also going to be doing an episode aren't we chris a couple of episodes hopefully in between now and when Mm. the season starts so that you've got something to listen to to fulfill your bridget and desires um before the next season is out we've got some podcast ideas there yeah we can patreon as well aren't we chris are yes. we on Patreon? Yeah, okay. look us up on Patreon. Um, but yeah, we'll do an episode before the new series is out and we can kind of try and predict what we think is going to happen and see if we've got any clues. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be fun. Well, well if you've you got any ideas us. or any predictions, uh, message us on Facebook and then we will talk about them in the new episode. Love it. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.